0: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
1: It's the Love, the Jam, the podcast. I'm Shaphan, coming to you with Lucas. How you doing, Lucas? Less good than the last time we talked. I am also doing doing less good, <laughs> less well. Uh, we're oh also joined
2: God. by... <laughs> my dad is going like to freak out when he hears
1: that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> less good. Oh, no, we actually made it a point, me and Rob, a while ago to always say well. I think we even referenced like, Zach Lowe because he was an English teacher and everything. But uh, less good is definitely the thing that we're a communi- going I mean, right I was now. a
2: communications teacher. Like, language is a social construct. Anyway, introduce our other
1: guests. <laughs> wow, this got, we went to a rabbit hole real quick. Uh, we're also here with Doyle. Uh, covers the Mavericks for Forbes and SB Nation. Uh, how are you doing, Doyle? I'm doing great. <laughs> you're, you're doing, you're doing uh, more good, maybe.
3: Yes, that's
1: correct. More <laughs> yeah. better. More better, more better. The Dallas Mavericks were more better than the Los Angeles Clippers today, <laughs> 127 to 114. In a game, really, they were just, they won from the start. The Clippers, I don't think the Clippers even ever had a lead, if I can recall correctly. Um, this was just essentially, you know, I wouldn't call it a beatdown, but it wasn't really, it wasn't really a question virtually throughout the game. Uh, just a heads up for everybody, anybody listening, you know, I generally listen through iTunes and we are having some distribution issues right now and we're getting all those kinks worked out. So if you're kind of wondering uh, what's going on with that, they're trying to get ironed out right now. Um, but thanks for listening on however you're listening to us right now, but we're trying to work on all that if you are curious about that. But let's get right to the game. Um, Doyle, let's start with you. The, Ma- the Mavericks uh, thoroughly outplayed the Clippers today. What was kind of the first thing that you noticed that was different from last game?
3: They just kind of came out with a different energy to start the game. And I think that was really key for them because last game, you know, they fell on what the 16 point hole pretty early and they were playing catch up, you know, ever since then, kind of, even though they did have a lead a couple of times Uh, tonight, they, you know, as you mentioned, they had the lead throughout, there were no ties after it was zero zero and they just never looked back. There were some times I thought that uh, Scott Foster was trying to give the game away to the Clippers by just – because they were parading to the line the entire first half. But Dallas managed to hold on and come up with some clutch buckets. Trey Burke especially was part of that. And uh, hold off whatever run the Clippers had tonight. And so, you know, you got to hand it to them. They,
1: They played a lot better than they did, and the series is tied now. You know, we're going to talk a lot about what Doc Rivers did wrong today because he's been thoroughly outcoached. But I kind of, from your perspective, what has Rick Carlisle been doing right?
3: Uh, gosh, he's messed with his rotations a lot. Uh, he just kind of does that. And so, like, the two starting lineups that you've seen to start these games um, are not Regular starting lineups. Maxi Kleber usually comes in off the bench and Porzingis starts at the five and they start Seth Curry instead, but he's been coming off the bench now. So it's Carlisle's just a tinkerer by nature and he's going to try and find anything and everything that, you know, gives him an advantage and exploits that. And, you know, tonight, especially his bench lineups is like, you know, Bobon and then again, uh, Burke, like I mentioned, kind of. And the you know Curry got hot there in the third and continued to the fourth. he just found ways to get those guys going and didn't look back so you know, have at it with Doc. I like doc as a coach, but uh
2: <laughs> i mean i think I think that that's like the flip side though of what's been so like i i mean doc has gotten run in circles around in these first two games in a really like. I mean, the first most blatantly obvious thing to me is this Montrez Harold Bobon matchup on the second units, where I know that, that Kleba doesn't normally start, but I knew he was going to start game one. They, they don't have the bodies to defend Kawhi and PG unless Kleba starts and they can put Kleba on Kawhi and Finney Smith on PG. So he has to start for them. So you know he's going to start. You know if he's starting alongside Chris Stapps. You look at their roster. Either they're going to be playing like Justin Jackson at backup center or Boban's going to play every night. And you know from history that Boban is a terrible matchup for Trez because Trez struggles with length because he doesn't really do much of his scoring from outside like three feet. And so if you just put a big immobile seven-four guy with his arms up in front of the basket trez can't take advantage of that in, in very many ways and he's going to get out rebounded by him too so i mean th- this is all stuff that was like I, i'm not trying to toot my own horn here because i think that this is obvious but this was in my series preview and so for doc rivers to be losing a game on this tactical mishap it, you know in the second game of the series is kind of I don't know. It's really, really disappointing. And then to that point, right, you, you tinker with the lineups, you bring in Kleba. One of the ripple effects of that is that Boban is going to be playing off the bench. Another ripple effect of that, as you said, Doyle, is that Seth Curry is going to be playing off the bench and the Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Landry, Shamit, one, two, three combo on the perimeter defense for the second unit is horrifically bad. Not only did Seth Curry, uh, Torch them and Trey Burke torch them. But we even saw Carlisle in this game, pull Luca out of the game very early so that he could bring him back in at the end of the second quarter to get him run against that Clippers second unit, because Carlisle immediately saw after game one, Oh, this is where we can exploit a weakness in the Clippers lineup. And doc just, he just doesn't make those adjustments. It, It, it is really, really frustrating because I think if he plays smarter lineups tonight, even with how well the Mavericks played and how poorly the Clippers played, this becomes at least a a close game, a coin flip game in the final minutes. But he threw the game away at so many opportunities when I think a little more competence from the bench would have kept the Clippers in it.
1: Yeah, Uh, tell us how you really feel, Lucas. (laughs) Reggie Jackson had 26 minutes today. Montrezl Harrell had 21 minutes today. Um, Two players that we were hoping would get less minutes. Like you mentioned, it's incredible for what what is one of the – what on paper looks like a historically strong perimeter defense. To play Reggie Jackson and Lou Williams and Landry Shamet at once is really just a colossal – undertaking from doc rivers who has not made many adjustments has made uh, essentially what feels like wrong moves and you know granted pat beverly was hurt today and and uh, the clippers dearly missed him he's been as has been documented by this pod at least um, probably the third most important clipper and easily for our for our brains at least Um, but really outside from that you know doc has been making miscues paul george today was four for 17 after being after having a, a good game, a decent game, last game against the Mavericks. Was it just kind of a matter of George missing his open shots after having an injury real first first half? Or, or how concerned are you about Paul?
2: I mean, I just – what he can't be invisible like this in playoff games. I know he, he was in foul trouble in the first half, and it happens, but – he can't like this, this can't happen, right? If the Clippers are going to win a championship this year, Paul George can't have four 17 for 14 point nights. He can't. So that's something that partially the Clippers offense needs to do a little better at getting him better looks. I think that's an area where they really miss Patrick Beverly because Patrick Beverly, even though he's not a distributor who sets guys up for open shots he at least he's a really like steadying presence on the floor for that starting unit on offense compared to Reggie Jackson, who's a little bit of a chaotic presence for them. But at the end of the day, just because he had a slow start, just because his minutes were limited in the first half and you know, the Clippers altogether missed some shots. Kawhi Leonard bounced back from a slow start, right? Kawhi was also missing his shots early on. He finished 10 of 21 for 35 points. PG just strung together like a slow start with a slow middle with a slow finish he's too good and the team needs him to be good too badly for him to have performances like that i mean this is where the memes come from right like paul george has been great this year don't get me wrong but this is where the playoff p memes come from is is nights Mm -hmm. like this in the postseason
1: yeah, and uh kudos to you, Lucas. I think you were you were uh kind of pining for Trey Burke a lot in the uh in the offseason as a possible third uh clipper guard. Not pining might be the wrong word, but you had mentioned him a few times, and Trey Burke finally came back to bite the Clippers today in the fourth quarter, seven of eleven. Really just looking at the Mavericks roster down the line, just felt like they had a lot of really quality performances. Um yeah, Chris Porzingis had a nice bounce back game. Doyle, I mean I mean it's, it's easy to talk about Carlisle's brilliance and just like what he likes to tinker with. He's a historically great coach, but really just performances down the line from all your guys today. Um, is this how, how good do you think the Mavericks played based on how good they could play in general against this Clipper team? Uh,
3: I thought the first like five to eight minutes of the game was the Mavericks really showing what they can do because you know you're still talking about historically the best offense the NBA's ever seen that's what this Mavericks team is and you know they're they're down a couple of players too who are out for the for the playoffs but they put together a pretty strong overall performance there's always going to be some guys on the roster like Kill Gilchrist and Delon Wright that you always want to see a little bit more from but it doesn't it's not going to translate and Maxi Kleber's kind of had a Really poor bubble in terms of his uh, scoring production, but overall, they got they had the people step up that they needed to have step up, like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke, like you're saying, and Seth Curry. Those are kind of three main guys outside of Doncic and Porzingis that they really need to have, uh, you know, coming off the bench or in the starting lineup that really produce when when the team needs it, especially when uh, one of the stars is giving a rest. And Boban is just, he's just a ball of offensive energy, you know. He, you, you gotta love him, man. You gotta love him. He, he's got his weaknesses on defense, but he played under 10 minutes and gave them 13 points and nine rebounds tonight. That's thats just what he does. He's a, he's a fit for anyone once he gets going offensively. You can beat him, you know, off the dribble just because he's slow, but you know, he he did work Montrez tonight. And uh, honestly, I was really surprised by Zubat's not doing anything because he's had a couple of big games against the Mavericks so far. And I'm happy that they finally solved that because it was really annoying seeing him go off for no reason at all because he frankly has no right to be able
2: to do that. I mean, he has to play to produce, yeah. right? Um, and I, I just don't know, like, he should, he should be playing more. I think it, tonight, obviously, he wasn't as – good as he had been in recent games against the Mavericks, you know, three points and four rebounds in 18 minutes. But I just don't think that he is the liability, you know, that Montrez Harrell is. I mean, Montrez Harrell played 22 minutes at center and got two rebounds. <laughs> like the, the Clippers got out-rebounded in this game by the Mavericks. And I think that what Zubats gives you is, you know, he's going to have a little more, he's going to have a little bit of trouble, right, covering that Porzingis pick and pop but he's just stronger than Chris Stapps. So he's going to get offensive rebounds and putbacks. Maybe part of the reason that, you know, his rebounding wasn't great was because a large stretch of when he was playing in that first quarter, the Clippers were just overall playing so bad. But I, I mean, I really think that Zubat should have played a lot more than I, I think. I mean, I think you agree, Shapp.
1: Oh, absolutely. I agree. Um I very very much agree. Kind of curious Doyle. like so, did you did you feel like like uh, Zoo got kind of got played off today? Because I think me and Lucas agree, most Clipper fans kind of agree that Zoo, despite his um, you know, despite his shortcomings and the pick and roll, and I know the Maps have been putting him in a ton of pick and roll that he just brings so many pros on our end. But when you when you saw Zoo come out and saw Trez come in, were you? We all kind of universally think that Zubot should be playing more than Trez, but I'm kind of curious what a Mavericks fan thinks watching this game. If they're thinking that oh, Zo is just getting outplayed, should he get pulled? What do you kind of think watching that matchup and center lineup?
3: Well, I mean, I, I've i always liked Trez. I've, I've liked him. But, yeah, it, I know he's coming back. Was this his first game back, like,
2: in the he, bubble? He played, he played a little bit in game one, too.
3: Okay, yeah, yeah, I, that's right. But, yeah, like, so I, I you know, I know him based on, you know, just his career. And Dubats is kind of a newer player for me, at least, getting to know him because, you know, I don't necessarily follow the Clippers as closely as y'all do. But, uh yeah, I based on what he how he's carved up the mavericks this year, yeah, he deserves every right to be playing more, but you know, like I was saying earlier, Carl's a tinkerer tinkerer, he's going to find like a weakness, so if he can get him, one of those guys off the floor and just have to deal with uh, Leonard and George, then he's going to deal with, do that and that looks like we what he did tonight. he found a way to you know minimize his impact and boom, you see him on the bench for a lot of the game.
2: Yeah, I think I I, just, I think that this was more. I think Doc did this to himself a little bit. I think that some of the other stuff that we've talked about, right? So the way that Carlisle has been so effective in neutralizing Trez by mix changing up his big man rotation to play Boban, like Boban's playing more this series than you would expect as a guy who was like only a, a part time, you know, bench guy in the season to play, but. He's playing because Carlisle sees a matchup where he can neutralize a guy who's normally pretty explosive for the Clippers off the bench, and actually Boban is like out trezing Trez right. So you think Trez is supposed to come into most games and beat up on the other team's second unit center and get you know 18 points in 16 minutes, right? But instead, it's Boban coming in and really hurting the Clippers on the other end, not only, I mean, he's stopping Trez from being effective, certainly, but also those 13 points on six of eight shooting and nine rebounds, like he's being the spark plug off the bench that normally Trez is. So Carlisle has really turned that in their favor. I haven't seen, like, I haven't felt the need yet to say, Oh, Zubac really is struggling to stay on the floor in this series. And I, I have been watching for that because, you know, we saw that last year against the Warriors Zubats could not stay on the floor in that series because of how small the Warriors played, but not, you know, he's not a perfect matchup for Chris Stapps. Chris Stapps is a good player. Who's going to get, you know, production, regardless of who he's playing against. But yeah, I really feel like with the Zubats thing, this is Doc doing it to himself right now. The Jackson thing, I'm a little more hesitant to be critical of Doc for, I think he's overplaying him, but Patrick Beverly's hurt. The Clippers don't have a lot of options at point guard. The Zubats thing I think is really kind of negligent. Um, I think he's he's sticking with the guy that has been on the team for longer that he trusts a little bit more and has a better feel for instead of, uh, you know, basically without any regard for how much that guy's hurting the team. And Doyle, I mean, I don't know if you, um, you know, obviously you don't follow the Clippers night in, night out, but this has kind of been a trend all through the regular season before the COVID suspension where Zubats would come in, you know, whether he had a, a normal game or a great game or a bad game, right. Play his first half minutes, come in to start the second half, come out about halfway through the third quarter, Montrezl Harrell would play the last 18 minutes of the game and be horrible on the glass and defensively. And it cost the Clippers quite a few regular season wins this year. And yeah, I don't know. I think maybe we were all kind of hoping to see Doc make that adjustment coming into uh, the playoffs. But, you know, it happened again tonight It's a tale that that we've kind of seen over and over and over again against different teams this year.
1: Yeah, not just that. Michael Green also barely played today and he's been incredible in the bubble for the most part. I mean, he didn't shoot particularly well today, but uh, he he's he's been a low down low. He's been a better rebound than Trez, that's for sure. He's been a physical defender, and he also uh, barely played. So this was just a frustrating game for Clipper fans who have all been kind of clamoring for Zoo to maintain his role over Trez um, offensively and defensively, especially in the game. And we, we love Boban here um, on this podcast. He, oh, he, was yeah. a, he was a former Clipper, and we know very much how situational he is and how situationally good he can be. And this is perfect for him. This is just a perfect series for him to come off the bench and cause some havoc. And he's absolutely doing that. And the frustrating thing is Doc is just kind of playing into it and he should be the guy that knows not to do this because he's had both these guys on his team. Um, So just, just another reason to be kind of frustrated with Doc and how he's been coaching. Um, I mean, really aside from that, that's really a a lot of what's been going on with this team. Uh, The Richie Jackson thing. I mean, he, he played too many minutes, but, you know, we kind of mentioned, we've mentioned a couple of times that Doc's kind of had his head in force. I still don't want him playing that many minutes, but when you don't have that many playmakers um, that are healthy, it really goes to show how important is Pat to this team, Lucas. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, but gosh, it's so, it's so, it just seems like it's a different level of intensity whenever Pat Beverly is not playing.
2: Yeah, I mean, intensity is certainly part of it, right? Because Pat Beverly is an intense player. But I also think there's, you know, a level to which it's not just – it's focus, right? So on offense particularly, because you, you wouldn't necessarily think from an outsider's perspective, oh, the Clippers need Patrick Beverly in for their offense when you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the wings but they really do. And I think the offense is good when Lou Williams is playing in that guard position too. He's the most kind of natural distributor that they have on the team in terms of running the pick and roll. But Pat's a guy who I think maybe doesn't get enough credit for how smart he is. Uh, You know, because he does a lot of the like jawing, chit-chat, trash talk, intensity stuff on defense. But I mean, Doc Rivers has said you know in his coaching career there's been three point guards who he's kind of turned his playbook over to and those three guys have been Rajon Rondo Chris Paul and Patrick Beverly so you know I, I I think sometimes Pat doesn't get enough credit for how much he does to set up the Clippers offense because he doesn't get a lot of assists out of it but then you put someone else in that situation uh and actually, I think Derek Walton Jr. did a fine job of it this year, but everyone else who got point guard minutes for the Clippers uh, has not, and Reg, including Reggie Jackson, where it, it becomes chaotic out there. Uh, you know, Reggie has this tendency to overpenetrate and get into trouble and either put up a bad shot or turn the ball over. Pat doesn't get to the rim as often as Reggie Jackson does, but he doesn't make mistakes either. Patrick Beverly is a really turnover-averse point guard. Uh, And the numbers bear that out. And I think that that steadiness that he brings offensively is actually probably more important to this team as it's constructed than his like talent level or leadership on the defensive end. Because I think that, you know, the Clippers can get their defense from other places. And obviously that didn't totally work out tonight, but we have to remember right credit where it's due the Mavericks are the most efficient offensive team in the history of the NBA. So they're going to get their points. They had, you know, most efficient offensive team in the history of the NBA having an above average shooting night in game two. So they're going to get their points, but it was the Clippers offense. I think that missed Pat even more than their defense tonight.
1: Yeah. I think a lot needs to be said about Pat's steady hand, considering we have two dynamic playmaking uh, uh, Swingman between Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, but something about that steady hand is so apparent when you see somebody like Reggie Jackson, who can by by all means push the pace at times, but just once things get sucked in a half court set, you can really see a lot of those flaws compared to Pat Beverly. Uh, Doyle, how did you feel about? I mean, your stars. Porzingis had a nice little bounce back game, um, showed emotion still, but uh, did good to, good to control himself and Luca despite being plagued with foul problems all game, still had a nice game himself. Um, 28-7-8, and only one turnover. Uh, how did you feel uh, watching your stars today?
3: I thought they played great. I mean, when you put the two games together that Lucas had, he's dropped 70 points against, you know, the Clippers, which are supposed to have one of the best defenses, and I still believe that in, in the league. So... I thought when the series started that it was going to be a lot like the regular season because in that first meeting or back in November as, as long ago as that was now, uh, just Lucas pure frustration uh, after that game, after that meeting there in Dallas, I I was at that game covering it and he was so frustrated afterwards that he wouldn't even speak to the media after the game. So uh, it shows that he's grown a whole lot to be able to bounce back and do what he's doing now especially in the postseason here uh against a team that has flummoxed him for the entire season and i you know posing is going to give you basically this uh every night he's erupted though in in the bubble he's averaging about 30 points so a little bit below his average tonight but it it was good to see him get going. He still takes a few shots from the post or some turnaround jumpers that I think are really low quality shots for him. Uh, But other than that, I really can't complain. Like he, he played well and you know, he was in a little bit of foul trouble there too. He had, he had four fouls tonight, but uh, yeah, it was, it was good to see them get going. Um, But you know, as, as we talked about, this was really more about the role players tonight. both Porzingis and Doncic are going to get you theirs every single night. They're, they're both just that good.
2: Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think to that point, you know, and the point you made about the Clippers defense, the Clippers definitely haven't been great on defense in these two games. And I think particularly when they've gone to their second unit, they've been pretty bad. Um, But I also think it has to be contextualized within the monster that is the Mavericks offense this season, right? Like, yeah, the Clippers have breakdowns against the Mavericks offense. Everyone has breakdowns against the Mavericks offense. Or, you know, you end up stuck having to choose between Luka driving uncontested to the rim with no weak side help or a Seth Curry corner three after a ball reversal. That's by design. Like, that's why the Mavs offense is as good as it is. So there are are things schematically that, that the Clippers could be doing better, including... Defensive rebounding better by playing Montrose Harrell less. Uh, You know, I don't get why Reggie Jackson is playing possessions against Luca to try to stop him on the drive. Like when the Clippers have PG and and Marcus Morris on the roster. But aside from some of these tweaks that, that you might want to see Dallas, the reason the Clippers have breakdowns and are forced to make bad decisions and give up open shots and open drives to the Mavs is because the Mavs are the best offensive team in the NBA. They are torture for defenses, and so you know to an extent, it's a. I think even a further testament to how legitimately good this Mavericks offense is. You know, I, to anyone out there who's saying, "Oh, you know, it's regular season fluke, young guys getting hot in games that don't matter, whatever." Like, no this this machine that Rick Carlisle has built around the Luka engine is. A legitimate like juggernaut in the NBA.
1: Yeah, um, now the series, 1-1, one, one, pivotal game three coming up. All the statistics are behind it. Granted, we're in a bubble, so it's not quite shifting anywhere. Um, but this is going to be interesting. So I think we can start We can start with you, Doyle. I mean, Rick Carlisle has been making adjustments. He's been tinkering. Do you, see, do you see him changing anything coming up in this next game? Anything that kind of popped to you that you felt were particular strengths today? I mean, aside from Luca just being brilliant. <laughs> um
3: the, he's always likely to change something and it might not be anything it probably won't be something that I caught. It's <laughs> he's he's wild about that. Uh starting Maxi, I didn't expect it but I'm not surprised by it. He might, he might stick with that after seeing you know, that this worked, uh, tonight and, you know, it did work for a, kind of a few quarters in the first game. So I don't know. He's liable to do anything to try and give himself any kind of burst. Um, you had mentioned earlier, Lucas, that, uh, sitting Doncic a little bit earlier in the first quarter, that's, that's an old trick he used when Dirk was still on the team. Um, Dirk would start the game, but come out at like the first time out and then he'd get run with the Maverick second unit. And the Mavericks' second unit at the time had like the was like the most potent offensive unit in the entire league. Like it was even better than some of the Warriors' lineups at full strength back then. This was like at least two, three years ago or something like that. So it's it's something we've seen him do before to get an advantage against you know a team's second unit out there. So I I imagine we can see more of that as the series goes along too.
2: Yeah, I think part of it even is. You know, I think some stuff, like like those two things, right? Kleba starting and and bringing Luke out a little bit earlier, are scripted. But some stuff I think that Carlisle does isn't scripted, which is what's so impressive. Where like, I really think that, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist's minutes are dependent on how the game goes, and how well Finney Smith and Kleba are doing defensively against. PG and Kawhi, and how many minutes PG and Kawhi are playing, and if one of those two guys for the Mavs is maybe in foul trouble, right? And so what Carlisle's able to do is kind of consistently adjust and know what he's got in his toolbox to produce balanced lineups, to know, hey, we need an extra like bigger defensive wing body on the floor, so we're going to put Kid Gilchrist in, even though he's not uh, really, I mean, I think ideally you probably wouldn't want him playing if you're the Mavs because he doesn't bring the shooting threat that you want to like play five out around Luca. But Carlisle knows that for these five minutes that he played in game two, and granted he was a minus 15, so maybe not the best example, but right. this, is, this is where we just need another defensive body on the court, right? And that's something that I think Doc Rivers is a little too scripted where he comes into that second unit, like Reggie Jackson, Lou Williams, Landry Shamit is going to be the one, two, three on the second unit for the same stretch of minutes every night. Yeah. And there's not much accounting for like, Hey, I'm seeing that Luca's is going to get pulled early and come back in with the second unit. Why don't I put maybe a guy like Rodney McRuder out, you know, not, not saying Rodney should be playing a lot of minutes or be a mainstay in the rotation, but hey, there's here's this four-minute stretch where I've got PG and Kawhi both out. PG's in foul trouble. Kawhi played a lot in the first quarter. Now Luka's in to start the second. Well, why don't I go get this utility guy I've got on my bench who's a good, gritty defender and a much better body to use against Luka than any of these second-unit guards I have and put him in for a few minutes, right? It, it, you know, I, I think if Reggie plays three less minutes and McGruder plays three minutes in the second quarter tonight – you know, these are the kinds of things that I think Carlisle is able to really kind of maximize his utility role players. Um, and, you know, I, I would hope to see some more of that from the Clippers as the playoffs go on, just because they, they have such good depth where they can do so many different things. It doesn't feel like they're really tapping into it to its full potential.
3: Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, Carlisle hasn't even called on J.J. Barea yet. And, you know, mm-hmm. Barea is like one guy on the team with, you know, finals experience from back from back in 2011 when the Mavericks did win. He's kind of like the break-the-glass emergency guy who can come in and drop, you know, 12 to 15 and 20-something minutes off the bench for you. So
2: you know, Yeah, I, I almost thought we'd see him tonight, but then I guess Seth and Burke were doing so well while Luca was out with foul trouble that it wasn't really needed. But I think maybe if those guys don't get as hot as they do in like that third quarter stretch. Um, that's where I, I mean, I, yeah, he, I was kind of expecting to see. JJ I think, I think Clipper
1: fans know that JJ Brea burst is, is coming.
2: <laughs> yeah. We, and he's a guy who we don't want to see, by the way, Doyle.
1: <laughs> I think most teams feel the same
3: way, honestly.
2: Yeah. I was ready actually when I was, when I was getting ready uh, researching the series, I was like, Oh, JJ Brea. Let me go look at his like career splits oh, based boy. on opponent. <laughs> and he, I know I have to tell you, Shep, he's average against the Clippers. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, that just he's that just, just goes like, to show a Doyle's point. Yeah, he's no, just, Doyle's absolutely that kind of guy. Right. Um I mean, a little above average against the Clippers, but like there's quite a few teams who he scores more against. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's definitely that kind of guy that, uh, that can have that sort of impact. So that's an interesting maybe uh, wrinkle to watch for as the series goes on if the Mavs have a game where they are struggling a little more offensively, maybe where those supporting cast guys, Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, Seth Curry, who were so good in game two, are playing a little more poorly, Brea could get brought in. And frankly, I think, you know, if Reggie Jackson is still playing point guard for the Clippers, if Patrick Beverly's hurt, that's a matchup where you can get away with Brea a little more easily than maybe some other teams that would punish him a little more defensively. So,
1: Lucas, um, I feel like there's one thing whining changes to be done from a fan perspective. It is another thing kind of figuring what Doc will do because I feel like we kind of know a bit of his habits. Um, I kind of feel like Kawhi will start on Luka next game. Kawhi did start on Luka in the fourth quarter uh, today um, when the Clippers were trying to make a run. And I feel like that's kind of an obvious possible thing that I think I would be – sort of expecting Doc to maybe try uh, just put Kawhi on Luka all game like he did earlier in the season, and uh, and maybe see how that happens. But as far as these minutes split, I mean, I'm not sure if Pat will come back. I, I always assume that Pat Beverly is going to come back just because of the nature of his, of his personality, and I still am sort of assuming that for game three. I was, sem- I was a bit surprised he didn't play today. Um, but what are you expecting Doc to do? Because I think there's one thing saying – we want Zoo to play more than Trez, but it's almost, it almost feels like how much can you hope that just because of Doc's habits? I mean, it feels like Doc is just going to keep playing Trez more minutes, if not maybe split those minutes, but more than we want for sure. Well, what do you expect Doc to do?
2: Yeah, I think, um, and, you know, not as an excuse to say like, oh, the Clippers weren't, haven't been trying so far, but I think in any seven game series, you – have to start out you know you start out at kind of a baseline level of intensity and you kind of have to feel the series out how is it going to go where are we going to need guys you don't want to necessarily put Kawhi Leonard in the most demanding matchup from the jump ball of game one because that's a lot to ask of a guy to do over four quarters over seven games 40 plus minutes a night right so I you know to an extent I think that losing a game going into a game three it's not like a must win win or go home situation right but it's a game that if you lose you're really in trouble so this is a, a, a bigger game i think than like games one or two of this series were uh, naturally right um, as the series goes on the games get a little weightier so i think doc steps the intensity up a little bit i think you're right about using Kawhi more on Luka. I think he's tried to get away with putting less of that defensive burden on Kawhi as much as he could in games one and two. Um, I think Kawhi will ask for it. Kawhi's kind of post-game quotes seemed a little bit displeased with the team's defensive focus and intensity. uh, And I think he will take that a little bit more upon himself. In terms of how it, it will affect Doc's rotations, you know, I frankly, I think that for him, intensity like more intense games means going with the guys who he trusts in more heavy ways so it'll mean a much shorter leash for Zubats Uh, you know Lou Williams has broken 30 minutes in both of these games I think that will continue and I think with Trez it will come down to What Doc is getting elsewhere and what kind of lineups the Mavs are playing, I think that Doc likes that kind of super small Marcus Morris at center look that he's gone to in both of these first two games of this series in the fourth quarter, and then bringing Trez in with like three minutes left, which I don't get, but he's played Marcus Morris at center for a pretty decent stretch of both fourth quarters. We might see more of that sprinkled in earlier in the game. Uh, I don't know that Morris's minutes can go up from the mid thirties where he is. Maybe Landry Shamit is a guy that doc goes to more just because he was in the playoffs with the Clippers last year and then kind of adjust the rotation as needed to um, help play Morris a little smaller or play a little smaller with Morris at five. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, just answering the question you asked, I'm not optimistic knowing Doc having seen Doc coach in a lot of these playoff series that he's gonna make this adjustment to kind of go away from the guy who's been a little bit of a crutch for him as the games get a little tighter and a little more intense. I think he tends to lean more on that crutch, the more intense the games get.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that'll essentially wrap up this pod for the most part. Daryl, do you have any parting thoughts uh, from this game or for this series?
3: Uh, it's been a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be coming into it based on what I saw between these two teams in the regular season. And so that's been fun. That's been entertaining and I hope everyone else is enjoying it. I know you guys are dealing with a loss tonight, but overall I thought this was other than the refs blowing the whistle way too much. I thought this was a pretty entertaining game. Uh, It was competitive and the stars played well and, I'm looking forward to game three here on a uh, Friday night. Frankly, I didn't think I'd be looking forward to any games in this series.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the refs have been generally frustrating. Lucas, how, how are you feeling about this series after this split?
2: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, if you want to look on the, on the bright side, right. It would be that clearly, you know, folks who've, who've watched the Clippers all year. Uh, and I don't think that there's any dissenting voices really among like the the media members that I know that cover the team feel like they've played pretty poorly in both of these games. And I think one thing that, that I'll credit the Clippers with is in game one and to probably a greater extent tonight, they kind of took some punches from the Mavs who are like I've said over and over have a really potent offensive attack and not given in like for the Clippers to be down five points at halftime tonight, after being down 18 in the second quarter, I think is a, is a pretty, pretty impressive thing. Now going down that big to begin with, not as impressive. Right. But to, you know, I, I can appreciate that they get into games where they're not playing well against like really high powered offensive team. And still try to grind back into the game. Um, And I think they did that repeatedly in game two and just were never quite able to break through for a variety of reasons. One of which being the Mavs hitting timely shots and playing really well on offense and executing. But I think ultimately grinding, being able to grind like this will help the Clippers at some point in this, in this playoffs. But playing well will help them more and they need to get to a point where they're actually, you know, the Clippers themselves and the Clippers coaches and the people who follow and cover the team can actually say like, yeah, the Clippers played pretty well tonight. And I don't think we've had that through two games. Um, and that's a little, you know, as much as you want to say, Hey, well, at least they aren't down to 0 and they haven't played well. It's also a little troubling that uh, you're two games into the playoffs and the team's not playing well. Right. Because <laughs> yeah. there's only so much time, whether it's against Dallas now or Denver in a couple weeks or uh, Lakers a couple weeks after that, there's only so much time before not playing well means you're going home. Uh, And there's no more, there's no more moral victories. Right. So it's time for them to start playing well.
1: Yeah. I think that'll do it for this episode of the law of the Gender podcast. Thanks Doyle for joining us. Thank you for all your insight. Thank you
2: Doyle. You're the best. Thank you guys. See you soon, buddy. (laughs)
1: Cachadilla and Forbes and SV Nation. And thanks for listening to everybody listening to us. Uh, we're going to fix all of our distribution stuff coming forward very soon, as quickly as we can. Um, and hopefully the Clippers uh, start playing well. Uh, well, that is very clearly. Not good. Well. and You,
2: know, you said that at the beginning, shot, <laughs> but you totally did it during the episode. And my mic was on mute. And by the time I got it back, I didn't want to cut Doyle off because he was answering, but you did it i did i said i said good or well what you said good when you should have said well twice in one sentence while you were asking him a question. well I, I think go I back think and that check the tape. It, that,
1: i think that proves it that i am i am a jerk i think that proves it finally <laughs> i think everybody's been waiting this is scientific i've been telling proof. people
2: for years
1: as a scientist i'm finally glad that we we uh, got some evidence uh and as always <laughs> go <laughs> clippers